So over dinner, you were talking about something that you had seen, a TV show or something that uh, showcased people using American Sign Language, you know, no no mm-hmm. verbal words, but still lots of communication. And you said something along the lines of that was a, a better communication than a lot of people with words. Yeah, it was all about um, uh, people who were, uh, it was a documentary about people who were trying to decide whether to get their children cochlear oh, implants. Right. Yep. And, you know, um, mixed couples in that one could hear and one could not and mm-hmm. you know some so they were looking at all these different conversation uh, all these different combinations and conversations uh about heritage and you know should you know that non-hearing heritage be you know carried on they were saying we don't want to have the cochlear implant put on mm-hmm. and so on and so forth and yes watching all of them interact with one another people who use communi- uh, sign communication I think communicate better with their whole selves, face, hands, language, than people who can hear. Yeah, I've, I've been <laughs> I've been thinking about communication. I'm reading this book featuring dialogue between Herbie Hancock, Wayne Shorter, a uh, member of the the Triloquy family, by the way. You That's know, right. I love I love bragging about that. Uh, and and Daisaku Ikeda, and one of the points uh, they got into in the early part of the book that I found so fascinating, they were talking about communication. Uh, as far as improvisation is concerned, they were basically saying that musical improvisation between multiple musicians requires a lot of study and a lot of work. But once you you know get over those barriers and and are prepared to engage each other musically in that way, what you can create really transcends in a similar way that words uh, do the same thing in mm-hmm. non-scripted dialogue. You know, a conversation being a type of improvisation. So mm-hmm. it, it, it was, it's a fascinating idea that I've been uh, just pulling that red thread on, you know, improvisation, communication, what, what all of those different things mean. Uh, but right now let's, let's talk a little bit about musical improvisation. What do you think about it? It's one thing I think we're so used to in, in the Western classical way of thinking of something have a having a beginning and an end, and we can hum along if we're familiar with the thing, replicating what's on a sheet of paper. But improvisation is is so much different. Can you sit down and get into a, a piece of music that's just a, an improvisation? I love those, and it really depends a lot on the performers and the genre. Of course, sure. there's some that I like to hear do things better than others. But I think that when you hear good improvisation, you're listening to a musician that knows that instrument inside and out. Mm-hmm. And it's that is now their voice. And they're they're singing to you. you right. Know, they're talking to you. And it shows not only their uh, knowledge of the instrument and the genre, the piece itself. If they can take you off the path into their own, uh, they're going to give you their own tour. Right. And then have you hook back up to where it makes sense to everybody in the room again. Yeah, that's genuine and talent I think, and skill. And I think it's very important that you said it depends on the genre, so-called genre, because we often think of improvisation as a jazz thing. But we have we talk all the time about uh, Nirmala Rajasekhar and back in season one and the music that she played, that South Indian classical music that's based on improvisation. Yeah, you that's know, all it is. We, we, we have, of course, the jazz improvisation that folks are used to. And even beyond that, there are so many different types on uh, fr- a few 
few days ago, back on Friday, Dell and I went and uh, saw Davu Seru perform over in Frogtown. There's a, nice. a farm. Do you know? First of all, you know there's a farm over there in mm-hmm. Frog. Yeah, I hadn't. I had never been there. But, yeah, uh, it was great to discover that for myself. But uh, he did an improvisation in conjunction with uh, an ensemble local here to St. Paul called Zeitgeist. I need to right. um, have them on, but. Uh, it was really interesting to hear, and it reminded me of Davu's triloquy feature back in season one, and the improvisation between uh, Davu and Devon, Devon Russell Gray, that we uh, recorded uh, mm-hmm. back at the NPR studios. So I just wanted to revisit a little bit of that as we're, you know, thinking about this idea of improvisation and, and what all of that means. So to a lot of people, it may not sound like much is going on. You have Devon Mm -hmm. on the push pad, you have Davu behind the drum set, but in the same way that you were talking about sign language and that level of communication that you were seeing in, in that film, just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that there isn't something there much less something very profound, something that's rooted in so much study and, and life experience. It's just really interesting for me to think about. What what do you remember about this this day? We were we were recording that music. I remember a lot of communication between Devon and and Davu. Right. And maybe we can talk about the visual aspect of communication, improvisation, all of those things, but it's just really interesting for me to unpack that idea of improv especially when comparing it to dialogue. Uh, mm-hmm. But before we leave the arts, you know, you you and your theater experience, I'm sure you have some on stage or I don't know, theatrical improv a under lot. your belt. Yeah, a lot of a lot of improv classes, but not like you see at a comic comedy club or anything like that. Mm-hmm. This was more like improvisation for the actor with the idea of if the wheels fall off in the middle of a show, like if somebody forgets their lines, if the set falls over on mm-hmm. you. You know, you're you you are building skills in order for you to break away from the script, yeah, and make whatever just happened work, and then hook it back up in. Like I said, like a solo would come back into where it makes sense for everybody else. You get everything back on track. Yeah. Now, for every time I have saved a scene by being able to improvise, mm-hmm. I have been saved half a dozen times by everybody else on the stage. Sure, sure. It is going to happen. So it's a skill that you build up. And not only does it get you out of trouble, I think it helps you build the character. You talk about being um, uh, an improviser who knows that instrument and that piece inside and out. Yeah. Okay, so if the actor knows his character and he knows the rest of the script, sure. He might even want to go off and improvise. Mm-hmm. And then that way, you might find a new area. 
that the director likes. Uh, we're, we're talking about listening. I mean, this is all building your listening skills. Right, because you're talking about knowing your instrument, knowing yourself, but that successful interpersonal improv also, of course, requires being familiar with what else is going on. If we're yeah. talking about musical improv, knowing what the piano player is doing over there on stage improv, knowing you know what your acting partner is up to. Mm-hmm. In, in radio, I'm sure being able to improvise, you know, a lot of radio hosts, you know, pulling the curtain back here, write the stuff beforehand, especially for recorded uh, and, and syndicated programming. I certainly do that. But for, for live programming, I'm sure a familiarity with the music that you're presenting is required for really for that really successful improv that in, in the moment, sort of speaking, yeah. as opposed to reading what you have pre-written. Yes, absolutely it is. I, I, did, the, I did the play-by-play for uh, Nicola Benedetti's recital for the Schubert Club, and I had a whole battery of things to you know to pull on mm-hmm. and be able to riff on. And there was a point where she left for like two and a half minutes, and, and I'm out there to fill it in. and I was tap dancing. And you know, a lot of people think <laughs> that two and a half minutes, oh, that's not long. Okay, get in mm. front of an open microphone, right? And and-, <laughs> and I would say the same thing to the people who point at Davu and Devon having this conversation in this piece they did in that recording. Yeah, and they go, well, I could do that. Well, then why Both. don't you then? I dare you. I then dare you to you go then? over there and sit down and make it sound like that. I dare you. And, you know, of course, when we talk about podcasting, there's a lot that we can talk about and, and compare when it comes to improvisation. There are a lot of scripted podcasts out there. And mm-hmm. shout out to them. They're, they're among the more popular ones. I think that next level is really having the courage to sit in front of those microphones and really improv a conversation here on triloquy we definitely build a skeleton uh, skeleton skeleton <laughs> <laughs> i got danny elfman on my mind i guess we definitely build a skeleton but you know so so we know what music we're going to talk about with y'all today we know we've picked out some uh music articles news articles that we're going to talk about uh with y'all today but really at the end of the day we're he- we're here just riffing on mm-hmm. it. And that is that is a skill that I think that we, we have both developed over the, you know, three and something seasons of Triloquy, really being able to sit down and spin the yarn and, and to see what happens. We're at about 33, uh, 33 and a third, I guess, 3.33 through. Something like that. So, yeah, I mean, and but also the podcast itself also is different. I mean, it's different mm-hmm. than in, sh- in scope. And in sound, yeah, um, things have grown drastically over that over that time. Yeah, yeah. everything has improved. If I, you ask me, I think I think just the overall point is if we're going to take improvised music or improvised acting, even improvised radio hosting, and platform that as an even greater skill than just reading what's right there on the page. We have to consider the same for dialogue and with all of the limitless possibilities that come with artistic improvisation, I think the same applies to verbal improvisation, the improvisation of dialogue, the improvisation of communication and what that can create around it. I have a question for you. So um, you know that when you hear a broadcast going on and and the host might misspeak or stumble a little bit mm-hmm. or try to correct themselves and you know that's going down live sure. right now i always give a lot of space for hosts you know when they're in that cuz i know that situation but when you're a musician and you hit a clam note 
Are you thinking about that the same way? Do you judge a musician the same way you might a host? Well, it's, di looking it's different in classical circles and in, in Western classical spaces because that Beethoven symphony that y'all have played 18 times, why are you why are you clamming that? This First of all, not only are the notes right there on the page, <laughs> but you have played those same notes on that same page forever. You know? <laughs> this is your, your 18th best performance of it. Yeah, you see, you see how quick. See, I was positive, and see how quickly you get me shitting on these orchestras. <laughs> I, it's okay. You, you didn't mention one orchestra. I did it. I'm talking about all of them. Well, most of them, anyway. Okay. Let's get into it. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, Opus 161. Thank you to all of the returning listeners, to all of you who come back week after week to hear Scott and I verbally improvise. Thank you so much for being here. For about two hours. <laughs> we, we've been doing good. We've been under you two have. hours. Yeah, you really have. That's off. <laughs> uh, to new folks, if this is your first time checking out the Triloquy podcast, Triloquy is a podcast that takes music, that takes conversation, takes news, and everything that may not have always been conjoined to that phrase classical music and put it all together so that we can open up the dialogue surrounding classical music all the way to decolonizing the art form, making it something that is really relevant to our lives, our perspectives on music and everything that makes us who we are in this 21st century. For more information on the Triloquy podcast, to find out how you can donate and to check out past opuses, go to triloquy.org, T-R-I-L-L-O-Q-U-Y.org. In addition to your support, Triloquy is made possible in part by the Lakes Area Music Festival. Shout out to Taylor and Scott and everyone up there doing the good work in Brainerd. For more information on the Lakes Area Music Festival, check out Lakes Area Music. Org. Those are my announcements for this week. Anything before we jump in? I'm ready to jump. All right, let's do it. This is movement one. Getting us started, checking our accidentals this week, uh, going over to Europe. What what uh, accidental are you giving this one, a sharp flat or a natural? I'm going to give this one a natural because um, I, didn't, I did not bring this article in in any way to point a finger at anyone that's named in it because I think this is a great example. Because they point the fingers at themselves. There's a, there's a bunch of <laughs> Spider-Mans pointing at other Spider-Mans. Right. <laughs> you know, but no, this is a, this is a great example of some of the crossfire that organizations are going to get as they start taking these steps. Sure. Give us a little things. bit of this. So uh, the headline here I'm reading from the New York Times is a European music festival's push for diversity stirs debate. The <laughs> Lucerne <laughs> Festival in Switzerland is trying to shine a light on race and gender disparities, but some are skeptical of its efforts. I'll give you the broad strokes here. It's an 84-year-old festival. And uh, Javier Hernandez highlights here in the opening paragraphs that in that history, women and people of color have struggled to be heard on stage and audiences have remained overwhelmingly white and wealthy. Yeah. Um, so the festival kicked off last Friday and they are uh, uh, having a series of concerts featuring black and Latino artists as well as women. And what do you think the response has been over there 
in Europe? Well, something that would get that response from me. But mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> one of my challenges when we talk about decolonizing classical music, the really strong legs that I feel like I have to stand on is that our view of classical music here in the United States is rooted in the perspectives of somewhere else, namely Western Europe. Now, when we go to Western Europe, I'm not sure how to have that conversation because Haydn and Mozart and, and Beethoven, that is that's, their that's classical yours. music. That, right. that is what's foundational to, and not all of that's foundational to that part of the world, but a large part of what's foundational in, in, on the instrumental music front. So honestly, it's I, I'm glad to see this sort of thing because I'm not sure how I would approach that conversation. The main quote that I wanted to get to from Michael Heffliger, who's the director of, uh, of the festival, he says, we're not a political organization, but in a way, culture is also social responsibility, and we are a part of society. And the way that I read that is he wants to make sure that the white audience that they have know about the other music that is happening, Yeah, that they are aware of the symphonies that have uh, been bedrock in other parts of the, you know, in both South America and North America. Yeah, yeah. Um, he said the idea of devoting this year's festival to diversity quickly prompted pushback. Der Bund, a German language newspaper in nearby Bern, published an article calling the theme an affront, saying that it might actually have the the opposite effect, that uh, they were only inviting these uh, black and Latino uh, artists because they were uh, artists of color, and it was for their skin. A lot of people have a lot of different opinions on that. You're going to get it. I am I am at the point in my life to where if you want to invite me somewhere because I'm black, if you want to give me some money, give me an opportunity because I'm black, so be it. And if somebody thinks that's unfair, I guess you should have been born black because damn, <laughs> we, <laughs> we're, we're talking about equity. We're talking about really getting to the root of why we have these conversations. And if, if that's where we are right now, people viewing it, oh, you're getting this because you're black, so be it. I don't I don't have that dissonance. I also understand how a lot of artists would want to be platformed because they have great art. And going forward, organizations need to know that this is one direction they're going to come at you from. Yeah. This is one of them. He goes on to say, but they are going to be bringing in artists like Aaron Akubo and violinist Randall Gooseby. And uh, the Kenna Mason's yep. name is being thrown out. Okay. So there are some people who are going to go, oh, yes, yes, they're going right, to quiet, quiet, clap, quiet. Yes. yes. All right. We like this. And I know people on the other end of the field who are going to go, they, that that's not good enough. Okay, but why are you looking at me? <laughs> because I am I'm improvising with you. No, I, I hear what you're saying. This is my thing, and we, we, you know, we we return to this conversation all the time. I celebrate these black artists who uh, venerate and and bring to light this Western European classical music. We have to have the honest conversation that these artists fit into the larger scheme that centers an aesthetic, that centers a history. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're there. We're not talking about, oh, you're here because you're black. I, I think the main reason that these artists make these stages is because they aren't too radical. They aren't too different. They aren't too offensive to what these audiences are, are used to. Mm -hmm. And they bring up something along that line here in the article, in the next graph. I wanted to ask you a question about this one, though. Um, Ansafi Mutter is going to play. Mm -hmm. She's going to play the Joseph Bologna right. violin concerto. Right. So 
to me, I can see them thinking, okay, if we're going to incorporate the music of a black composer, let's put Anne Sophie Mutter out there, the spoonful of sugar to make right. the medicine go down. And see, to me, what? now I'm just so I'm just asking, is that not from that 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 this is another direction they're going to come at you mm-hmm. from? But do you see that line of thought where we could we can get their feet in the waiting pool by having a prominent artist that they know play the music of a black composer? But see, I think that's just so sad to where that, that that is putting you know your feet in the waiting pool, as you say. I think what it really shines a light on is some of the racism that's inherent in in this tradition of music. You tell me. The typical person turning into your radio show or walking down the street, if they hear the music of Joseph Bologna, Chevalier de Saint-Georges, are they going to say, oh, that sounds like black music? Or are they going to say something else? No, they're going to say that sounds like classical. Okay, great. And Mm -hmm. by that, they're going to automatically, because of the way we treat that phrase classical music, they're automatically going to be thinking of somebody white. Mm -hmm. So the music of Joseph Bologna, uh, Chevalier de Saint-Georges, is a part of this Western European canon, this Western European tradition, uh, certainly aesthetically. So if that music is being put into this festival as the different thing, as the diversity call, that means you never actually respected that music from the first place, despite the fact that it sounds exactly the fucking same as Mozart and Haydn and all of these people. So why else was it not included? In this, in the eighty-four, I'm sure it's been played before. You know, you say eighty-four years of Lucerne, yep. but you you understand my point. Now that's yes. being that's being no. platformed as the, the as the diversity, despite the fact that this music comes exactly from your European traditions and sounds aesthetically exactly like the deepest of that big C classical music. My point is, everybody who's starting to take these first steps, all these organizations who are starting to do this work, like the Lucerne Festival. This is what the conversation will be. All I'm saying is be prepared. If you do, I I understand that approach, but this is how, this is the other direction people are going to be coming at you. This is from all sides, man. It's all sides. I wanted to read something else from here. Uh, This is a quote from Rodrigo Carrizzo Cuoto. He says, this kind of PR may alienate the natural audiences of this festival. He goes on to say, why are we doing this? Why are we following some sort of California agenda? Well, first of all, the California agenda would be uh, y'all letting me smoke a joint in the concert. That's actually the, <laughs> the California agenda. But I think this is just mm. their way of saying, oh, woke politics or, of course. you know, it's it's not about the art. It's about the uh, the the conversation or, you yep. know, how, how, however mm-hmm. is platformed. And, you know, it begs the question. See, Radar is tired as well over there grunting. <laughs> it begs the question. And maybe we'll return to this in, in the accidental that I bring. What what are we what are we trying to save? What what are we trying to shift? If there's this much pushback and this much open pushback, yeah. imagine what's being said behind the behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I can I can say they're probably saying, oh, we, we don't want to hear that ninja music and blah blah blah. blah. You know that might sound ridiculous uh, to some people for me to say maybe that's happening behind the scenes. But if these sorts of things are saying publicly, I can only imagine what doesn't make our ears and our eyes. 
And I, for one, at this time, like to applaud the Lucerne Festival for taking the steps. They said that this is, uh, we're, we're presenting classical music in all its richness and diversity. From now on, this should be seen as normal. It, these are first steps. All I'm saying is that as you take those first steps, y'all, these are all the different ways that this, so have your plan. I'm saying have a plan and know how you're going to respond and and keep your head up and keep looking forward. Mm -hmm. What would you say to the European programmers, concert organizers, all those folks who would tell us to just mind our you know, American California agenda business mm -hmm. over here. <laughs> Do you think, I, it, again, just returning to my original point, it's hard for me to think about how I would traverse this issue within the context of Europe because it seems like a, a harder battle to fight. Maybe, you know, so I guess with that in mind, maybe I should offer some bail to what I see as the slower steps because it's the more challenging Part of the world to have this conversation or the you know just the the home of of musical colonization certainly when it comes to classical music so i don't know maybe maybe i should give a golf clap to joseph bologna chevalier de saint georges i just think you know it's very telling for that to be an example of going a little left field or reaching beyond when at the end of the day it sounds like the rest of it yep but we're still talking about people looking at different gauges people are looking at different ways of measuring this is a huge step for lucerne okay for for the for that crowd that is a step yeah and among the people to affirm that is uh chi chi nwanoku shout out to uh chi chi <clears throat> she says here this is a big step towards shining the spotlight on the problems in our field a lot of the classical music that we pride ourselves on today is inspired by black artists black musicians and black composers but we don't hear that side of the story we're we're doing this week after week until we're blue in the face and there are still articles coming out uh now today you know in 2022 this is august and august of 2022 where we're circling the same conversation it's easy to want to give up before we turned on the mics earlier today i was talking about how my buddhism and my conviction is the reason why i'm still here because mm -hmm. this this battle seems uh never ending but we have to move forward and i suppose there's progress you know joseph bologna chevalier de saint georges and all of his big c classical greatness <laughs> is finally making the making the uh making the stage and and we should be grateful for that i suppose i should just be so thankful i too am thankful <laughs> <laughs> all right anything else with uh this one shout out to lucerne keep your head up all right well uh because uh chi chi is uh such a prominent figure in this article i thought i'd pull in a, a performance that involves chi chi and one of the shows i did i can't remember if it's gateways radio or the sound of 13 i uh included music from one of their uh, latest albums, the Chiniki Orchestra. The album is called Spark Catchers, and one of the works on it is a concerto grosso, a contemporary concerto grosso by uh, Afro-English composer Erilyn Wallen. Uh, we have Anthony Parther on the podium. Shout out to Anthony, you know, great black conductor uh, here in the United States. We have uh, features by Isata Kani Mason and Ty Murray. Uh, uh, Ty Murray is a, a violinist. I've had the pleasure of performing with black violinists who's based over in Europe. And you know, it just offers a really great perspective around where I think this Western classical music 
should go when it comes to programming. Yes, this contemporary Concerto Grosso sounds a little bit more contemporary, but in my opinion, it's not too left field to include in something like the Lucerne Festival, much less some of our everyday programming. So here's a little bit of the first movement of that Concerto Grosso by Erlen Wallen to get us into our next accidental. Of our folks playing the home game, Scott, mm-hmm. remind us what a concerto grosso is. What is uh, that? That is a big concerto. Yeah, that just means you know you got like your your full string set up. You know you probably have uh, uh, groups soloing out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the way I like to explain it is a a concerto for more than one soloist. Typically, it's uh, one person up at the front, and uh, concerto grosso is multiple people. So this concerto grosso uh, in, involves uh, that one involves uh, piano uh, and and violin. I think uh, bass is in there as well. That's why uh, Chichi is is uh, noted as one of the soloists. But you know, even uh, under those very traditional European schemas of music, you know, concerto grosso, we can have new sounds and we can have new ideas, even new sounds and new ideas by black composers black women composers, black women and and black men performers. There's so much room for us to spread out beyond Joseph Bologna, Chevalier de Saint-Georges. Rest in power to our brother from Guadeloupe by way of France. Mm. And there's more to explore. And that's one uh, one of the things, the main thing that uh, the accidental that I brought in uh, this week covers. This is from the Women's Philharmonic Advocacy, wophil.org. I'm going to give the work a sharp because we need the data to to help us have these conversations. But what the data has shown us, I got to give it a flat. Anyway, what the data, <laughs> what the data doing? Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> let me um, read a little bit. Improvisation. From this. Uh, this is by uh, Sarah Bear. Uh, it says after two and a half years of canceled, shortened, or virtual seasons, it seems as though much of professional music making in the United States and around the world is finding a new rhythm and approach to the new normal. As I collected data for our annual repertoire report, I was hopeful that the positive aspects of innovations that we've experienced could continue. We have seen more accessible price points and virtual concert experiences that can be enjoyed regardless of location and also the recent spotlights on the need for change in the classical music community as a whole with momentum to move beyond the idea of the so-called great composer and instead to embrace the rich diversity that has always been a significant factor. I'll let y'all read the rest of this. My favorite thing about this article and about this work. Again, shout out to everyone at the Women's Philharmonic Advocacy. It breaks down, it takes the top 21 ensembles in the United States and they define top by biggest budgets. So the orchestra with the top 21 biggest budgets and take a look at what uh, they have been performing. Mm-hmm. And the numbers tell a lot. Uh, before I even you know dive in and, and, and look at some of these things, I wonder if you can speak to the importance of the data. We sit here and and talk a lot every week, but the numbers tell Don't the lie. story. They, right, exactly. There's that's, no arguing. That's the receipt, right? What you did versus what you said you were going to do. 
Something else, something in this article, we'll, we'll, I'll lay out a few points. Something reminded me of something that you always say. So in collecting the data about the programming of these top 21 ensembles, um, they exclude from consideration uh, any concert labeled, uh, I'm, and I'm quoting here, family, holiday, pops, or other, quote, special events not included in typical subscription series. I think that's a very important point for uh, these data collectors to point out because yes, we hear John Williams every, you know, pops. We hear uh, uh, more contemporary music every Christmas program. And, you know, as, as they say here, special events. This is why I always push back against the relegation of expanding the field into the specialty show or the once a week sort of thing, because mm -hmm. that doesn't actually change the the status quo of things. It doesn't change the way things are done. If anything, it perpetuates it because all of the, you know, black music, all the music by women, you know, has to stand over here in the corner. Right, right. So, so that the main things can still have their place. Okay. So this might be a simple question, but help me out. So are they going to call programming for Black History Month or Juneteenth, is that going to be I would say filed so. under under the specialty? I would I would definitely say so. Huh. Okay. What does that make you feel away? <laughs> well, I don't know if shouldn't that be included? <laughs> well, I think the point is that that music should be included That's in September and April right. and 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 all of that as well. You know. Um. Uh. So it says here. Uh. With all we're talking about, the top three composers of 2022-2023 were, you guessed it, Mozart, Beethoven, and Rachmaninoff. I probably wouldn't have guessed the Rachmaninoff, especially considering that was a compose that was not a composer that I made it to in my training. I didn't play a Rachmaninoff symphony or concerto or anything until I got into the field. But hmm. I think it is interesting to to uh, to see his, his name there. Is that surprising to you? Would no, you um, really. imagine him as number three? Uh, maybe a Brahms. Yeah, see, that's really who I because that's who I love shitting on so much. But <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but anyway, so we so we have that part, and uh, the point that this makes again, I'll have the descript the link in the description. The point that this makes is that in this upcoming season, uh, we're seeing that based on what's planned. Again, all of this data was taken from the official press announcements and websites of these top twenty one orchestras. The trend is that music by women specifically is going to be down a percent from what it was this past season. Hmm. Uh, it seems like we're, and, I, I, and, and again, this point is made in the article, as we get back into coming outside, the in-person things, you know, back to normal, as it were, that back to normal is happening in many ways where we're easing back into not really highlighting this music. Mm -hmm. Your reaction, <laughs> easing, easing, easing back into the, the, the status quo. Well, we did cover that last week or the week before. Would an orchestra try to recover money by going and putting out all the hits or use it as a chance to implement some of these things? Because we already know there are loads and loads of people who are listening right now who are not interested in going outside, mm -hmm. much less to hear Mozart, Beethoven, and Rachmaninoff. Yeah. So something different needs to happen. And I, I, I was a little bit 
curious to hear you say that it women rep, women's representation went down a percentage point. yeah a, a whole percent i think like 1.2 percent or something if, huh. we're, if we're doing the did math you find here. anything in there to indicate why that was it uh, i mean I, it, it's just the status quo of it all i mean this is just huh. the pure data it's not uh, okay. you know in, okay. any anything peripheral to that one of the reasons i want to give this another you know i'm gonna give it another sharp here because in addition to looking at the concert programming this data includes information about specific conductors and what they're putting oh. on the on the podium. Let me read here. It says of uh, a total of 157 conductors, 75 uh, will conduct at least one work by a woman composer, but only 30 will conduct more than one work by a woman. And even though women only appear 13% of the time, they conducted 22% of all of the performances of works by women. So what this is saying is that diversity of conductor plays a, a direct role with mm -hmm. diversity of programming. And even among all of the women composers, we don't have 100% participation in conducting works by uh, women. It says here, uh, the conductor with the most impressive schedule... <laughs> <laughs> in terms Ladies of and gentlemen. number of works being performed is, you guessed it, Yannick Neze Seguin music director of the Philadelphia Orchestra. Have I said it on the mic? I know we talk about it off mic, but every time, <laughs> every time yeah, there is a place for um, a woman composer, for a black composer to win a Grammy, for uh, the <laughs> first uh, black composed opera to hit the stage of the Met, right. Yannick is there. Yeah, Yannick said, y'all not about to get me. <laughs> Yannick said, if anybody is going to get talked about, it is not me. He's definitely carving it's, a it's, legacy. It's hard to not <laughs> see a pattern. Yeah. You know? So I think that says a lot about the opportunities that we all have, despite gender, despite race. You have white Yannick Sig uh, Neze Seguin out here doing his part, you know, doing everything he can to always make sure he's in the room and in the conversation. And, you know, you have so many other people who just aren't aren't bothered by by the the by by the same old that's true yeah um i'm wondering though we've talked before about how necess not necessarily lowering the ticket price equals a bunch more right. viewers right but they highlight that here did you read anything into that about uh we've seen more accessible price points for virtual concert experiences yeah. because we've already established people of color have money yeah it just depends on what Look at the, look at look at the cars they drive. You know, you go to the hood and you see the nicest cars in the city. No shade. <laughs> I, I so, was, it's a, so the money is not the yeah. and not. Of course, I'm not saying that all black folks live in the hood because y'all love to be in my inbox. But the point is that yes, accessibility, especially when it comes to price, is important. But that's not really at the core of the issue. Mm -hmm. If Beyonce, you know, if Beyonce does a concerto or something with an orchestra, Yannick probably gonna be there, isn't he? It's gonna be the Philadelphia Orchestra. <laughs> do you think? Or, or even, you know, Beyonce will want to do it with her hometown Houston Symphony, but Yannick gonna be there somehow. I so would when, think they would be handpicked. So, so when Yannick conducts <laughs> a X orchestra featuring Beyonce, the tickets could be. 
$5,000. Do you think people are not going to crowd that concert hall? Do you think people will not find a way to get that get that money so that they can be there screaming and yelling and hollering the whole time? Because we're not going to be quiet. I'm putting myself in there. We're not going to be quiet. And we will find a way into the concert hall. That's always my point. When it, and, and Beyonce is just the an, uh, an extreme example. But, you know, any of these artists, I, we talked about Big Frida with the Louisiana Philharmonic last week. Mm-hmm. Whatever that costs. It's black folks that that are going to go see that to make sure they're supporting Big Frida. Whatever is happening, you know, uh, uh, when Paviel, shout out to Paviel French, local artist, performs with the Minnesota Orchestra, St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, we go. Now, mm-hmm. she hooks us up with tickets now. But I would support the best way that I can anyway, because what's on stage is speaking to me. What's what's on stage affirms my lived experience. It's not rooted in something that has nothing to do with me. I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling, a, you know, just to make the point that while that accessibility of price point is important, I think the issue is so much bigger. We have to continue to look at what we're putting on stage and how that impacts this more diverse audience that everyone alleges to want to work toward. I think it's also interesting that there's a question asked just before the methodology. Uh, while these efforts are seemingly impressive, do they represent deep and positive transformation or are they a temporary distraction? What do you think? A, a, a temporary distraction from... It says, are they the temporary continu- distraction, a performative action with no real substance mm-hmm. or deeper intentions driving the necessary systematic change? Because I think we're back to the track record thing. Right, right. And... The point of this is to, as it says there, to address something broader, the the systemic mm-hmm. issue. And the checkbox approach just isn't isn't doing it. You know, it, it begs the question for me, again, what are we fighting for? What what are we trying to save? If after all of these conversations, after all of these world events and panel discussions and X, Y, and Z. If we're falling back in our percentages, and, and this is specifically talking about women composers, we aren't, you know, we aren't even talking about black women composers or or uh, you know women of color. What we're talking about just the grand scheme of women composers. If that's falling back, including you know the historical Clara Schumanns and uh, Ethel Smiths and, yeah, and all of those yeah. folks, you didn't see those names. Wh- what are what are we really fighting for? It it it's hard to. It's hard to not say that this is just something that the industry does want to see, mm. that the industry does not want it. And they're pacifying us for now with the little 10% and, and 11%. But the true equity that we're seeing, you know, as Jennifer Higdon said a few weeks ago on this podcast, most people who are alive, most people on planet Earth are people of color, and most people on Earth are women. So if we're if we're going to not even talk about what it would look like to equitably have yeah. a season that's 50% women or 55% women composers, we it, it seems like just the, the wheels will turn forever and we'll never get there. But I can't give up. That's what I'm saying for now anyway. Good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I I'll, I'll definitely uh, hope that y'all will check this out. It's a, a very um, extensive bit of research on these top 21 orchestras. Um, I think it will be interesting to look at other ensembles as well. You know, you could you could add orchestras all day. There are, you know, orchestras everywhere. I will say that some of the more uh, promising things that I'm seeing in the field now, and even back in my performance days, you know, mostly with the Knoxville Symphony, it seems to be more 
exploratory. We were playing back uh, with the Knoxville Symphony. This is 20, I don't know, 2016, 2017. We were playing Florence Price at Fourth of July Pops, you know, mm. really ha- highlighting all of America's music. Mm-hmm. And that's due in part, you know, shout out to uh, Aram Demergen and, and all of these conductors out here really putting their foot down on, on this conversation. Uh, but it, it seems like, and we've talked about this before, the smaller organizations are a little bit more nimble. They have boards that are less carved in stone than some of these uh, bigger institutions. It may be, I think, I guess maybe one of the points we can get from this bit of data is that it's the smaller organizations that have the ability to do more, mm. even in even in radio. Mm-hmm. Down, down at WUOT, I, I sure. put on whatever I want it on the radio. It doesn't work like that mm-hmm. at all radio stations, even even classical radio stations. So maybe we need to look at that as we continue this dialogue, continue this conversation, really making sure that we're platforming and highlighting and giving our resources to some of the smaller organizations and not necessarily these big historic institutions that Good based point. on the data, yeah. you know, not just me talking, based on the data are falling short, even falling behind from where we were just a season ago. Good point. Last thing from this that uh, uh, I'll share, it says, those of us who love this music, who love this art and find it not only valuable, but in fact necessary for the cultural development and substance of a community must make our voices heard and understood. Again, dialogue, using words to impact these things. And it's more than just yelling. It's more <laughs> than just casting blame and pointing the finger. It's about really putting out the facts as this bit of data has and Mm -hmm. going from there. So shout out to everyone at the Women's Philharmonic Advocacy. I really appreciate having this uh, bit of data to chew on, you know, having these receipts to point people toward. A special shout out to Sarah Baer, who is uh, credited here as the writer. And let's move to the future. We're going to go into the second movement here this week with a piece of music by Joan Tower. Does Joan Tower's music make it uh, through your ears? Once in blue very often. Yeah. I uh, first started listening to Joan Tower back in Knoxville in my first uh, radio gig. And I remember, again, it's just something how our perspectives change. I remember listening to so many of her recordings and thinking, oh, well, I'm going to put this on. But the the the, the inbox is going to be a little live after these seven minutes, you know. Mm. And now this music sounds completely normal to me if there is a normal i don't even know if we can use that word but it definitely is not as left field as some people think it was uh once upon a time even myself so the piece of music uh, by joan tower i want to use to transition us uh is a work that is inspired by aaron copeland's famous fanfare for the common man uh joan tower wrote a series i think five fanfares for the uncommon woman uh so here's the uh, tail end of the first of those fanfares for the uncommon woman leonard slatkin is leading the st louis symphony here I love that, especially those that percussion at the mm. at the very end. Really, yeah. really incredible music. If you don't know Joan Tower, go uh, look her up. Uh, the Fanfare for uh, Uncommon Woman. I, again, I think there are five of them, but just some really 
really just incredible music and 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 music that is not challenging is is not scary it's just music that people haven't heard before how many you know if you could guess how many times do you think aaron copeland's fan for for the common man will make it to a stage as opposed to this piece of music that we just heard probably a lot more aaron copeland right well yeah yeah um it's baked in for july 4th thanksgiving and the and the aesthetic when we compare those two pieces, and I know there's some of y'all who who aren't familiar with that piece, so sorry if we're we're doing that. But at the end of the day, the aesthetics of those two pieces aren't that far apart. The length is very similar. This uh, this first fanfare for the uncommon woman is two and a half minutes long. Mm-hmm. We just got to step out and actually do it. And for the orchestras that aren't doing it, and you are a part of the community of those orchestras, you have to step up, as the as the Women's Philharmonic article said, you have to step up and make your voice heard, because that's the only way things change, by us yeah. actually challenging the status quo and pushing against. All right, we're here in the second movement, where Scott what, what? and I are going to uh, talk a little bit about uh, pieces of music that we've been spending some time with this week. I'm going to uh, go first. So I went out on Saturday night, actually went outside, you know, Dell does a great job of convincing me to put some clothes on and to go somewhere because a Saturday night. Well, we don't night, want you going out without clothes. Because a Saturday night, listen, Saturday night with a book and <laughs> a joint is all I need to have a good time. But anyway, we went out to the club or to a little bar on uh, uh, Saturday. Uh, shout out to the Brass Rail. And then we're responsible. So we lift. We, you know, we, we get a ride service uh, mm-hmm. to and from. And uh, on the lift ride there, I heard some new music that I had never heard before. I don't know. Have you heard of the uh, artist Brent Fias? Not once. Yeah. Uh, whatever. I can't remember what tune exactly was playing in the in the lift ride, but I shazammed it, and that's how I, you know, got in. And uh, on on uh, Brent's latest album, uh, there's a, a Drake feature. There's a, a really dope mm. Tyler the Creator uh, feature. So it not only is this person. Uh, out there, but out there enough to get some of these big features from these uh, artists. Well, the piece of music that I want to bring in uh, actually has an Alicia Keys feature. I don't know if we'll get to uh, Alicia Keys portion, but the reason I wanted to uh, bring this in, the tune is called Ghetto Gatsby. We talk about expanding what we put on our orchestral stages, especially uh, when it comes to getting new people into the audience and really reaching far, you know, beyond the, you know, can and even beyond the jazz get into more contemporary hip-hop and r&b as it could be realized on stage Mm. and this music this tune ghetto gatsby i feel like is already ready for the stage i I love the way that brent Baez uh includes the string sounds Mm -hmm. in this tune and really offers us an example of what that sort of fusion could look like in real life he just does it here in the recording so here's a little bit of the opening of ghetto gatsby including all those strings and uh, pizzicatos and everything that make this tune in my opinion ready for the orchestral stage I'm sorry I've been out of touch You said I'd be out of town too much Fly it in the wind, I'm Gatsby I'm probably faded when you see me on the TV, I can't help that I'm just playing cards, I was dealt back But I got models in the Sprinter I can't buy you happiness if you ain't got it Move you to a place, still ain't what you wanted New, new face, still not Lauren London 
But you're still a dime if you ask me You will excel love in the backseat And you know, we can get into the lyrics all day mm-hmm. as well You know, I some can't of buy the... you happiness, you don't have it Listen, listen but even beyond that, or or even before we even get to the the artistry of the lyrics, the general aesthetic, again, I think it's just completely ready for the stage, is it not? Can you not it's, picture that with a chamber orchestra or something? It sounds like it's improvised, right? Yeah. And really, uh, last week I was talking about trying to figure out how different songs are built and how they how things work in the background. Mm-hmm. How sparse is that? You know, yeah. that was really kind of cool. And it makes his voice really shine, I think. And that's just one example. I think, uh, if I'm remembering, just about every track on the album includes some of those symphonic sounds. To mm-hmm. me, it's encouraging that new artists or new to me artists, uh, especially artists big enough to get Drake's attention and Tyler, the creator, Alicia Keys, all these people. Maybe I'll skip ahead to uh, some of that. But if if they are thinking about those symphonic sounds and how to integrate it integrate it into their music the converse mm-hmm. should be happening the the ensembles the institutions that create those sounds should be thinking about how it can be incorporated into other genres how they can bring in other folks here's a little bit of the end i, I did i did want to uh, give some room to alicia keys because it's always so brilliant to hear from her uh, they said they be bowling while they lying trying to stunt like they be on the pines but one and time we knew dinner now read between the lines we be in and out bring the car front and walk me out driving rain outside my house i'm staying in the night i'm feeling really nice good views good wearing plenty ice Blue 300,000 on me yesterday Know me, baby, you could check my resume <laughs> Been rich, been paid, all this art inspire me Been fired, can't nobody fire me <laughs> been I- Can't nobody fire me See, there's mm-hmm. power talk, talk about empowerment <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, I, I got a little job now But I still lean on the fact that when it comes to Triloquy Who gonna, who gonna check us? Who, who gonna tell us to not say something on this platform, you know? So we're, we're talking about the way that this music can inspire, you know, not only, you know, how it can uh, integrate with orchestras, but how it could really engage in that way the new audiences you're bringing into the space. So shout out to uh, Brent Fayez. That tune is called Ghetto Gatsby. It comes from an album called Wasteland. Definitely take a listen to that. The last thing I'll say before I pass things to you, you have to admit that when somebody... When someone says to you, oh, you should, you know, check out this artist or you should listen to this album. There is a bit of energy that goes into listening to something new. I think when, sure. when, when we're doing our day to day thing, we, we kind of want to listen to things that we know, especially we, if it's out of your wheelhouse. Right. And and we can definitely have that conversation when it comes to Western classical programming. But this is an example of where I just made the decision. OK, I like what I shazammed this for a reason. I like the aesthetic. So let me just start at the top and listen through. I think I had to uh, go to the grocery store or something and, and run some errands. So that, that that's the circumstance under which I took under which I uh, took in this album. So that's what I hope y'all will do. Look up this album. You got to clean the house. You got to do some yard work. You want to even just take a walk around the block. Put on this album and see what you think and try to imagine what it could look like if your local orchestra decided to platform a little something like this. That's what I got for this week for my second ending. How about you? It's really interesting that you bring that up because I think that this album could go right out onto the concert stage as well. Mm. Um, For the last three, maybe four days, I haven't been able to leave uh, cheat codes Mm. 
with Danger Mouse and Black Thought. Mm. Uh, it's it's been on a pretty constant. You at rotation. home listening to hip hop. And but the thing is, is that it reminds me of the stuff that I was listening to in the late '90s and the early 2000s. But uh, it, it's like a lost album from that era, right? Like finding an airplane in the Jurassic or mm, something sure. like that. It's just like you've just settled into this old piece of clothing that you really used to love, and yet it's a new sensation because the raps are different or the samples are different. And the one that is the standout on most of the the pieces that I've read about the album, the one that's the standout on it is called Belize, where he features uh, MF Doom. The late has, MF Doom, right. Rest in Power. Yep. Um, but, you know, there's a there's a lot of other voices on there. There's ASAP Rocky and uh, Run the Jewels are on. Uh, there's a few others that uh, I'm, their names are escaping me at this point. And that's one of the things that I wanted to highlight about the release is the way that it works together. It's a shout out to that age. It's a little bit of a time machine to go back to that era. But at the same time, the raps are new and they're all fitting together in just such a way that just seems right. You know, it's like when a piece of abstract art mm -hmm. comes together, the features are never jammed in or feel like it's, you know, put in as an afterthought. But at the same time, the lyrics have that improvisatory thing. Now, don't tell me that going up against somebody like MF Doom or Black Thought improvising isn't art, isn't something that needs to be um, an expertise highlighted. gained, yeah. highlighted, right. But um, also all of, the, all of the samples that are used are deep, deep samples. The uh, one that they use here is from a band called Federal Duck. Peace in my mind is what they've sampled for Belize featuring MF Doom. Yeah, I'm sick, no lymph nodes is swollen They told me even when the record skip, keep it rolling On his shoulder like a California highway patrolman Launch codes were stolen and sold by Ed Snowden I fled to Rome and told him to dress me as a Roman I'm still in photos, posing with my own omen A thumping kicker for me to slam like Hope Hogan is something like a plain bumper sticker, no slogan This something for the shooters and back and forth commuters Who never knew the difference in laws and jurisprudence I feel as though it's safe to assume that you're the students and not can it's really breathtaking. It, it takes my breath away. The, the, the reaction that I have to the most beautiful moment of, mm. you know, Scheherazade or, or to insert sim name of symphony. I experienced that there. The track itself, the beat itself deserves a place on symphonic stages but when you add that lyricism on top of it and then understanding where that lyricism comes from you know the experiences that that's born from and that in the context of the broader story of hip-hop you know that's uh turning 50 years old i, I mm -hmm. think next year and the trajectory that it's had you know how how many 50 year old individuals you know have had the impact on the world that hip-hop has you know it's it's the predominant culture and digging into the nuances and the histories of this music considering you know how relatively new it is so incredible oh my gosh don't call it dad rap do not <laughs> um and then there's you know the whole aspect of also knowing when 
to let the music breathe. There's a track on there. Jay Z say, "Let it breathe." Yeah. yeah. There's a track on there called "Identical Deaths" that's three minutes long, and he raps over half of it, and then he just lets the licks go. And last week I was talking about you know trying to figure out the way different pieces are built, you know, and and applying that to my own work. As I listen to these tracks, after taking that six months worth of Pro Tools,、mm-hmm. I know how they're doing this. So I'm getting ideas. Oh, are And, you? Oh,、right. we're, we're so, gonna make the rap album. Oh, okay. <laughs> I might. I'm gonna come up with the licks. the The only place where I'm a little bit lacking in confidence is the beat building, and so I need to go and find like a rec center class or something on how to really build beats well. But、uh, I know how to I know how to make the little licks and and just short phrases that sound cute.、Mm-hmm. I can go, yeah. Also, I'll record those and loop it. Let's see. Yeah,、uh, and and then I'll have to come up with some lyrics. Like, what can well, what can I get off off the top of my head? You know, I'm I'm talking about these. I'm talking about these orchestras. They they already know, and I'm keeping them silent. No subito or whatever. I don't know. You know. <laughs> But if you put something like that up in front of the Minnesota Orchestra, or the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra,、um, or bands like Massive Attack, Sneaker Pimps,、right. all that vibe, I I would line up. I would buy tickets for both nights. Same. Talk about music education. You know how many people can hold their own beat as solidly as that drum that that drummer did, and, the, and a, it's a sample, of course.、Mm-hmm. But you know,、mm-hmm. we've all been in those、uh, crowds where people are clapping along or snapping along with the music, and it always speeds up. You know, you get <laughs> you know, right, the, you know the、right. common you know talk about fanfare to the uncommon woman. You know, the common man can't keep a beat, but <laughs> the person behind that drum set could. You know, so there's even that aspect that we could uh, uh, use to sell incorporating this type of music into our conservatories and into our uh, uh, orchestral schemes and and all of that. Anyway, who incredible. American classical music, there. Danger Mouse and Black Thought. It's called Cheat Codes. The new album, Cheat Codes. Yeah, so be sure to check that out. I'll have that linked in the description. All right. Well, we're getting into the third movement, and I am really, really excited about this week's guests. I sat down and spoke with Hunt Dog and You a Good Kid. These are、uh, two collaborative artists. You know, talk about dialogue. You know, two artists who、uh, have musical dialogue going on. Over in New York,、uh, specifically in the Harlem area, they have a, a new album out. I mean, it is brand new. It's out this week. It's called Radical House. That's how they describe the music that they're creating. You're you're familiar with house music,、mm-hmm. and you know we talked about、uh, the the new Drake dance album a while ago. You know Beyonce、yeah. a couple weeks ago. So you know this this idea of dance music, you know, just really taking the scene, I think, is really、uh, incredible. And、uh, theirs is a a little different. It, it has its own spin. Uh, we begin our conversation talking a little bit about、uh, classical and what that means to them. Uh, uh, Hunt Dog Hunter is a Nietzschean Buddhist. He talks a little bit about his Buddhism and and how that has impacted his collaboration with You a Good Kid and his view、uh, on the world. And 
uh, we close out talking a little bit about creating those bridges of connectivity and all of these spaces where we're trying to do that, whether it's uh, house music, whether it's the concert hall, whether it's just people in general, the the things that uh, bridge us all together and his ideas on that. So um, really, really honored to, to have them on the show to get us into the conversation. I want to give y'all a little sample of what this uh, new album sounds like. So this is a track called Boogie Down, Hunt Dog and You a Good Kid from their new album called Radical House. Hope y'all enjoy this conversation. Yo, you got your metro car, get your metro. Yeah, put them jeans on, put them shoes on. Ah, uh, when you get to the corner, by the chicken spot, make sure you watch the ops. Make sure you watch your back. Yo, one in the morning, nigga, I fucked up Yelled through my window and shit Fucking tired of this fuck Bum ass crackheads Gotta get this fucking rock, bro Nigga bang on the door and shit Now my private man ain't holding none of them Then the nigga get inside Talk to the neighbor, fuck that I hear classical, I think of Beethoven, I think of violins, I think of like a very unique and maybe traditional style of music making. So, yeah, those are the first things that come to mind. Uh, who, who else do I think about? I think about the piano. I think about instruments a lot, too. And I think about classical music. What about you, good kid? What are your ideas on classical music? Is, is that something that's ever been of any interest to you or anything you care about? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Once I heard that, uh, I mean, I heard Beethoven was actually a black man. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but when I think about classical music, I really think about like percussions, like where it really originated and where it, like that 808 come from. For me, like right. that real tribal, that's real classical to me. You understand me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the vibe. That's the vibe we've been on. And that's the vibe. That's the vibe. Yes, sir. Y'all, y'all are both very polite. You know, a lot of times I ask people that question and they go to, you know, this is music for white folks or it's music for old people or, or X, Y, and Z. You know, uh, good kid, I'll ask you, what what do you think orchestras and all those folks, opera houses need to do to survive, to reach more folks? What are they doing wrong or what can they do right? They need to open up them doors. That's what they need to do. <laughs> once they open up them doors and open up that heart, then that music will live forever longer than it, you know, than it has been now, but it can live for a lot longer if they open up them doors. You understand me? So what do you think, Hunter? I mean, because you've, you've helped our dear friend Caesar, you know, put together videos and do all sorts of stuff. What do you think classical music needs to do to, to branch out? Yeah. I wanted to second what Kid said is it's about expansion and it's about acceptance and diversity. And I think that term classical has a lot of, uh, you know, limitations on it, right? You think about classic, it's like, oh, this is the way it is. Like, this is the classic, you know, style of doing stuff. So I think, you know, in order for that music to move forward, it's like, all right, this is the confinement of this structure of music, but how do we challenge that, you know? Is that like, you know, different pedals or, you know, different tools to use on the stage, different type of singers, you know? So as far as like expanding it, I think there needs to be more diversity and acceptance and a new approach and, uh, yeah, challenging, you know, the old way of doing things. Maybe we can get y'all on stage with an orchestra. That would be dope. <laughs> Come on now. My, my heart is open. Energy? No, I said I'm hopeful and my heart is open. 
<laughs> well, so so let's so let's go down that 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 path a little bit. First and foremost, good kid, uh, introduce yourself. Um, my name is you a good kid. Well, my real name is Christopher. For those who don't know, uh, I'm a human artist first and foremost. First, I'm human. Secondly, I'm an artist, and um, I'm just here for the people. My name, you a good kid, is a compliment to the next person. It's not even about me. I'm to that point where it's like. My ego is really not even there no more. I'm really trying to make the next person feel better than me. And that's really who I am. And that's what I represent. That's deep. Talk to me about the people. You say you're here for the people. Who do you have in mind? Who are those folks you're talking about? First, my people. So wherever you... First, I'm human. Again, yep. I'm human. So it doesn't matter where I'm at. It's just that that respect, that carrying, carrying that integrity of of being a human and having this experience where it's like, yo, know, like I've been through stuff, but that's not even me. I'm here for the next person. You don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to judge nobody by the scars that they have. So that's, that, that's the type of vibe that I'm on for real. Hunter, how about you? Introduce yourself to all the folks. What up folks? My name is Hunter, also known as Hunt Dog. you know, born and raised Harlem, New York. And, um, my introduction to music has been in, in my blood for many years. Both my grandparents were, you know, integral in the Harlem, you know, artistic uh, community. Uh, back when the Cotton Club was a thing, African music and dance, you know, it's all part of my DNA. So, you know, working with Kid, you know, I want to second get, you know, second what he shared. You know, we kind of like the same person. If you see us, we kind of like twins. He's the good the twin. I'm, I'm the, he's the good twin as good kid. I'm the, I'm the evil twin as the dog. <laughs> and, um, you know, but first and foremost, you know, we, we're he, people first and humans first. And I think for us, the art is just a reflection of our state of mind. It's a reflection of, you know, the world we're looking to create. And so, you know, we really pride ourselves first and foremost in being, you know, outstanding individuals, outstanding men of, you know, of color, you know, pushing our community forward. And, you know, anything we could offer, you know, sonically through the music, visually, you know, as painters uh, or as performers, you know, it's just a plus and a bonus. And the more that we fuel, you know, our cup as far as like how can we strengthen our heart, you know, then the music becomes easy. The art becomes, you know, a reflection of that spirit. So we have a great time creating it. It's all, you know, for the sake of people, the sake of our people, but also everyone. You know, we understand that the world is ailing and in a defiled age. So. We want to do our best to create the music that's medicine. Talk more about your grandparents and the, their role in the Harlem music scene. Yeah, so my grandmother, rest her soul, her name was Virgie Savage. She was a savage on the dance floor back in uh, when the Cotton Club was rocking. So she was big into swing dance. Mm. And um, even in my, some of my earliest childhood memories, she would be bringing me to African dance class. And I would just be feeling the rhythms of the drums at a very young age watching the movement, watching their feet. And, um, you know, that played a very important role, you know, just in, in my openness of music. You know, I, I heard that music before I heard hip hop, mm. you understand? So, and I heard hip hop before I heard classical, before I heard rock. So, you know, all those like different influences played a major part in my open-mindedness and broad understanding of music, you know? Kid, who are your, some of your early influences? I mean, you, you sound like a New Yorker to me, so you're you're <laughs> New York, you know, born and bred. Who are some of your early artistic influences? Um, Spanish music. I like a lot of bachata, merengue, 
Um, hey. So the real, the old campesino joint, my mom's Puerto Rican and my dad's Dominican. And uh, mm-hmm. my mom's playing a lot of uh, Anton Santos, um, Zacarias Ferreira. So it was like, and then I got in tune with my, with my brothers, you feel me? Mm-hmm. And then from there, I found like Mary J. Blige, I found Pharrell, I found Timbo. And then I got into the internet. And boy, the internet fucked me up, man. But um, <laughs> internet introduced me to MF Doom. And wow. that, that's 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 mm. been because that's who I really want to represent. Like, put the mask on. It's about the music. Don't even worry about me. Eric. Yeah, man. Kid hit it on the nail. Like I said, me and Kid are one of the same mind. And that's why, you know, working with each other and just our process has been truly one of my life's treasures. And um, yeah, I totally agree with that. We, you know, working on destroying this ego of the artist, you know, something that we really challenge in and uh, I think with classical music, kind of to bring it back with that is a unique taste because that style of music is about it's about the sound. It's not necessarily about the artist or like who's playing the instruments as it is about the overall sound or emotion of feeling. So, you know, within hip hop is a totally separate space where the ego is is promoted. You know, you have to be the biggest artist or, you know, what is it about your art? or your identity that separates yourself. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're working on challenging that and just really creating great music from the soul that you can play anywhere. And it's not necessarily about me. It's not about Kid. It's about the sound or about the community. I mean, Kid, it's a lot of people who I feel like will push back on that. I mean, they, they'll say stuff like, well, I mean, you want the, the Instagram followers. You want people to hear your music. So how do you deal with that next to the idea of getting rid of the ego of music? You do it. You, you show people what they want to see. But that's not you. That don't have to be you. That's a lot of a lot of rappers is actors. A lot of actors is rappers. Hey, and we gotta take you gotta take the take that take that. But that that don't have to be you. Use that as a tool. This phone we having, it's a tool. You can make a million dollars on this phone. It's a tool. People people see it and it's like, oh, it's negative. I, I want to get off Instagram. Cool, do that. But when you come back, what you got? Are you gonna go back to looking at the posting? Or you gonna post? What you gonna do? Gonna feed the people, or you gonna be fed? So, what do yeah. the people? What What do the people need? What What do you see as what the the people want to see, want to hear? They want to hear that good quality. They want to feel like they missing out. They want to feel like they they want to be part of something. We all looking for a tribe. We all looking for a tribe. And looking that's for community. What we, that's what we're here to do. We're here to to supply that. We got that for them. So Hunter, talk, so talk about what that community uh, is or what that community looks like you're, you're trying to build or, or, or create music around. Yeah, you know, the beautiful thing about that is, you know, we're still identifying that and walking that path. It's not even so much an answer of like, oh, this is the type of person that's like a part of this community because that would just be contradictory to our mission, you know, and being all inclusive and helping all people feel a part of something. So. You know, see how you can see how easily that could get into a very narrow minded thinking and a bit discriminatory against, you know, everyone or, or to anyone. So we just we're still working that path. And I think that. Uh, for us being intentional with our sound and with our music or art, you know, the right people will be attracted to it. And then if you're not attracted to the music based on who we are as people, you know, what we shared before, it's like you could be attracted to us or be attracted to the movement or like what we're promoting, which is peace and, um, you know, and, and, uh, and community and friendship. So if you ain't down with the music, cause it might be too much on your ears, you might not like what I said on it and just understand me and good kid, 
have become even more cherished friends because of the art and because of the opportunity to create the art together. So, you know, if art is doing that and the music is doing that, that's his true intention. That's his true purpose. You know, it's all about the community. It's all about yeah, fostering relationships. How did the two of you meet? What was that story? Uh, you got yeah. it. Sorry, bro. You got All right, it. I got you. I got you. <laughs> so in 2018, 2018, we had this, uh, we were promoting this Buddhist festival uh, called the 50,000 Lions of Justice, where, you know, nationwide, all these different arenas, there were young people from across the country coming together, you know, for the sake of justice through, you know, Buddhist philosophy. And so toward that means earlier that year, um, I started, along with some friends, we started um, this uh, open mic opportunity that we hosted every Tuesday at a local spot in Harlem and where every Tuesday, you know, young people from the community come through and, you know, offer what they can to the mic, whether it was dance, poetry, rap, sing, uh, painting. We had so many different artists come through and, you know, Good Kid was one of those artists. And I remember he came, I was like, yo, this dude look like me. And he performed this song. <laughs> And I'm like, yo, he sound like, like I was, I would do a song like that. I'm like, nah, we wanted the same. And then just so very naturally we met and, um, you know, this has been my brother for lifetimes. You know, we kind of clicked it off, you know, real simple. And yeah, the rest is history. You know, we just linked up when we could and relationship fostered more and more. You know, we put our songs together in the past and, you know, this opportunity, we tapped in even deeper. Only thing he, he, met, he met my mom this week. Last week, he met my mom. So that, that was why he had, he, had, he had a good meal. So I was... Had a good meal. Oh, yeah, Steak I'm with happy. I'm happy. He was... Yeah. I'm happy. I met this guy, man. He's, he's the best guy ever in the world. No, no, no. You're the best guy. Kid, when uh, when Hunter says that you know y'all look alike, y'all y'all sound alike, we can use all these words, these genre words that at the end of the day don't mean much. But how how would you de describe that sound? You created something that attracted Hunter to what you were doing. So how how do you describe the sound of the music you're creating? Maybe even the genre. It was a mirror. It was a mirror huh. the whole time. He was looking at himself. <laughs> and he's great. He's so great. Was it? Like that was fine. Like they, I mean, we both had a bald head, had the shades <laughs> on, so it was like, nah, it, it was just. And he embraced me so much, and I never felt that in my life. Like, and when I say that there's a tribe for everybody, it's like, he, th that was the chief, and he's yeah, that was the tribe, and I'm like, yeah, I'm supposed to be here. This is this is mm -hmm. what I came for. This is my intention was, you know, to to spread my my gift to show people that I do have something that you you're not walking around with empty pockets pockets and don't have anything everybody got something so we talk I, I hear that and are we talking about rock or are we talking about hip-hop what, what what what's the just for the folks who you know are, are are unfamiliar all right listen folks i'm gonna say this real clear this is called radical house radical <laughs> house music or bdm music which stands for big dick music <laughs> you know, I'm going to tell you all this little story, you know, because this is thank you, Gary, once again, for giving us this opportunity. You know, me and Kid have been longtime friends and we've been, you know, building in on our sound for, for years, you know, in different pockets, whether it was more jazz influence, more hip hop influence. And lately we've been really emerging into the electronic scene, you know, and really tapping in at dance parties, um, underground raves and where we wanted to really integrate this sound. And so I got this opportunity to host this party 
And I said, yo, kid, I called them that day. Say, yo, they want me to host a party. We got to make music to make people dance. We got to make people for music for people's hearts. What are we going to do? So we linked up. And so I used the term radical in two cents from its alternative, you know, approach. And second, from a political perspective. And then house, you know, to represent, you know, the music and it being dance, you know, uh, from a dance perspective. So we merged the two. And so when you hear the music, it's going to be very upbeat. It's going to make you want to move. And it's going to be radical in the sense that, you know, there's no confinement to what we want to say. We're going to say what needs to be addressed and especially in the face against injustice. So that's kind of where the edge and the punk nature of it comes from is like, you know, but then hip hop, you know, we kind of hear it all the time. You know, we putting the guns at each other, at our own communities, you know, promoting violence, promoting drugs, um, you know, speaking down on our women. So, you know, to kind of put a flip on that, it's like, okay, what if we spoke that way toward the true evildoers, toward the people who really, you know, putting people under, you know, whether that's the prison system, whether that's these politicians in certain positions. So we kind of put in that, that, and for me, that puts even more of an edge on aggression, you know, because I don't, I want to fight against that. I want to use my voice to, to say, no, that's not okay. And so we put it on that wax. We make it move, you know, so people want to dance and move. And then we just add very strategic phrases or messages within that so people can easily digest, you know, what the message is. And we both feel real confident and uh, passionate about that. And, you know, music is the medicine. So it's like artists don't can't play with that, you know, not just to be creating, you know, a sound to what your point, Garrett, about like getting a certain number of Instagram followers or like, you know, any level of self-validation. It's like, we we good off that. You know, we doing this for the people. And when you shine a light on your community, you naturally are going to shine a light on yourself. You know, there's a proverb in Buddhism that's like, I'm paraphrasing, but it's essentially it says, when you shine light for others, you shine your own way. You know, and so it's, it's we got to just help promote that and help people understand that. Like helping other people, you're essentially helping yourself at the end of the day. You know, so it's okay. Like, it don't really got to be about you because it'll always be about you if you, you know, moving with good intentions. So that's what Radical House is about. And then the big dick element of it is just an, it's just the energy. And there's, mm. you know, and that's that's all inclusive. There's women out there, you know, who got, who independent, got their own money, providing for their families. That's big dick energy, you know, <laughs> that's moving on that on the court. So that's what that, it's like a spirit. And it's an energetic spirit, you know, so not to get, you know, just to make that clear because, uh, yeah, there's some women out there, you know, with big dicks, literally and figuratively. Right. So. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Kid, what do you think about all of these uh, mainstream artists re-engaging dance music and, and house music? It seems to be the, the, the new wave, or maybe it's not a new wave. Well, what are your ideas on, on engagement of dance music all of a sudden? Uh, history does repeat itself. <laughs> and when we just go, we just going back to the fundamentals where really, where the people was moving and they really felt something. And after mm-hmm. this, it's gonna go back to the old school hip hop. And then after that, it might get a little ratchet again. And then we're gonna go back to the fundamentals. But um, this is really, this is a class. Life, life is a class. Music is a class. And we studying real hard. And we watching, we watching people's behaviors and we taking notes and we doing this. And we're scientists. At the end of the day, we're really scientists and we're making the people move and we're making medicine. And yeah, that, yeah that's it. 
Word up. Yeah, they yeah. want to put the they want to put the medicine in Big Pharma, man. They gotta let them know the music is in the vibrations, you know. And that's that's man. You can go back. You could trace that. that you could trace that back, you know. So frequencies that are acquired that people are literally digesting through their ears into their brain. It's the same thing as putting in you know alcohol. It's the same as like eating that burger. Like it's mm. it's all digestive, you know. So I think it's important we all really view music like that you know in that sacredy you know it's what you digest you know so what's the process of getting this music recorded written created it does it look like y'all written out studio time does it happen at someone's apartment what what's what's that look like we're going real raw we're doing this super raw and then we're going to the laboratory and that's when we really experimenting with the sounds but initially we're doing it very rugged very sweat. It's yeah, we sweating in there. It's hot. It gotta be hot in the studio. It's super hot. It gotta be hot. You get in a rag, and if you get hot, you better wash that rag with cold water. So yeah, it's it's they be wondering the why their records don't be going crazy. They be wondering <laughs> why their records really don't be. We really punishing ourselves for the sake of humanity when it comes to this music. We really putting our life on the risk, on the line and putting our life at risk, making this music. Listen. Listen, man, they're trying to make a hot record. It ain't even hot in the studio. So how the record going to be hot, you And I ask that because there are so many people who have these great ideas and this great message, but they'll say, oh, I can't afford the studio time. I, I don't have this or I, I don't have that. You know, I mean, traversing traversing those barriers. I'm sure y'all have had those sorts of barriers along the way. How, how have you dealt with them? I mean, me, I'm super raw. Like, again, like I don't I don't go to the biggest studios. I don't do that, but I am efficient. I have intention. I put in the work, and that's all that. That's all that matters. You could do. I was making music on the phone, on the iPad. People got phones. People got iPads. People got Android phones. But I'm making phone. On, I'm making beats on a Sidekick. Back in the days, <laughs> like it was like it was just that. I didn't share it, but the people around me knew it. Like yo, put that little beat on. You had, and that that's what gives me the joy of like, you really you're feeding people an experience. And that you can never, there's no receipt for that. What do you think, Hunter, traversing those those barriers? What's your view on 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 dealing with just the the real life challenges that get between, you know, the creation of music and the spread of music? It goes hand in hand. And that's, you know, the opportunity for the artist to express even more creativity. You know what I'm saying? Like, all right, with this limited amount of resources you may have, what can you create? You know, so it's important that people get out of that confinement and think like, oh, I can't create. Like we've never even heard the orchestras in, in a basement. So I think it's about really being creative, you know, with your spirit and being creative with, um, you know, your vision, you know, and not being so confined to think like, all right, if I'm going to produce this, it has to be done in this way. It's like, that's what, that's in the term radical, what we pushing is like breaking the confinements of what is the rules of creative. Because at the end of the day, it's art. There's no rules. It's just expression and heart. For the people, that's really we trying to we trying to package it real nice and neat for the people so they can they can feel it. And when you come to one of these radical house events and you see the people and you feel the music and you see the lights, you see the peep, like it's it's something that you don't want to miss again, and you shouldn't because. We're not here for that long, and let's let's just make the best of this life that we got. It's beautiful, man. Talk to me about some of the stuff that you know you've learned from 
hunter when it comes to Buddhism. You've been, you've been there to, you know, uh, to witness hunter's journey along a lot of that stuff. What, what's, what, what are some of the things that have impacted you or influenced you? Honestly, it's been his, uh, the discipline, the guys on time, the guys well prepared, the guys well eloquent. And that's what I, I look, that's what I look forward to. And when I see him, it's like, so what can I learn about this dude? Like, and just apply it to my life. The work ethic is amazing. He's, he's just a people's person. He's a vessel. So now he's just bringing the, he's just bringing everybody together. Like, like, like we should have already been doing. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm so happy and grateful that I have friends like him and, yeah, it's, a, it's been a blessing and a journey the whole time, and I can't wait for the future, man. You know, well, and I practice, to be clarified, uh, Nichiren Buddhism, which is uh, part of an organization uh, called the SGI, um, which is worldwide, and that is built on community. And the only reason why I embrace Buddhism the way I have is because of the people who supported me, because of the people who, you know, aided to my life and wanted to help me understand. So, you know, just kind of taking what I've learned from that and applying it into music it's like okay it's all about community it's all about supporting one another and using the art as medicine to help each other become happy and um yeah and that is something i'm extremely passionate about because in particular buddhism you know something that really changed my life so you know to integrate that has been a great opportunity a great experience too you know so thank you kid man and, and honestly through buddhism as I mentioned, that's how I even met Kid, you know, putting on that uh, that event, the open mic event. It was towards a Buddhist cause. So Buddhism is 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 the reason we even met. It's the reason, you know, at least for us personally, how this you know, we even made it this far. So we're going to just keep applying that, keep, you know, applying Buddhism. And I think we're going deeper. Yeah, Hunter, I don't know if you realize this, but when caesar was trying to get me to start chanting i was like well i need to see some folks who you know look like me in this practice and you know i still remember i'll never forget you zoomed in he connected us you were in the park i think you had uh red hair back in <laughs> back at <laughs> back in those days i remember this i remember <laughs> and this. i was like damn i remember people this day. from all sorts of all different types of walks of life really engage this thing. So, you know, with that in mind, what are your words to folks who, you know, have this idea of people in orange robes, um, you know, saying, um, or whatever, living up in mountains, you know, that that's sort of the preconceived notion, but the reality is very different. Right. Yeah. I would like to, you know, share with those people, you know, to educate yourself and to, learn you know about the other practices and there's a lot you know and i don't really i, I wanted to be you know very uh, clear about what i was going to say because i don't want to slander or share that you know anyone else's practice is incorrect you know I, I believe that the power of faith is is so important and it just is integral in, in our human experience so you know from that perspective it's like you know understand that true buddhist practice is a humanistic philosophy and that you cannot truly contribute to society and help others uh, meditating on a mountain alone. Understand? Mm. So through Nichiren Buddhism is a true humanistic philosophy and practice that directly, you know, engages with, our, you know, with each other, directly engages within society. And so it's with great emphasis, you know, through our practices, you know, we chant Namyoho Dengekyo to, you know, increase our life force to you know, have the determination to surmount or overcome anything. And then you exercise that in society. 
And so we use this metaphor or this or this concept, and it's called faith equals daily life. So hmm. what that means is that only through faith, you know, you can exercise that in real time, you know, with real people. So it's important. And that's just where like Nietzsche and Buddhism is is different from other practices. And if you see a monk in an orange robe, you know, all love and, dis- and, and respect. But, you know, he's not helping the young kid from Harlem. You know, that dude, you know, that young, you know, Buddhist monk chilling, you know, in the mountains ain't doing nothing for, you know, young kids really going through stuff, you know, getting shot at in the streets. You know, so that's where the separation comes in, just in a very practical way. Or, yeah. you know, that Buddhist monk ain't really aiding to somebody who's dealing with mental health. You know, these are all real concerns of our community and society, you know. And so, you know, I don't want to once again, don't want to negate, but I'm just to create the separation and the clarity, you know, do with the monk shirt on with the orange robe, do your thing. But if you're really about that peace and you're really ready to fight for justice, you know, you got to be engaging with people and you got to be speaking their language. Yeah. Wow. You deep. You deep. And and kid, I, I, I hear you. Um. I hear Buddhism through what you talk about. You know, there's a story about um, a person who gets a, a precious jewel sewn in, into their robe and they, and become poor, but don't even realize that they already have the tools they need to, you know, get themselves out of that situation. I hear you talking about that when you talk about you can create music on your phone, you can create music and beats, you know, with, with what you what you already got. So I guess with with that idea in mind, where do you hope to, you know, take this project and and uh, your partnership with the tools you already got how, how what, what what's your vision for that future the vision is infinite um the vision is clear the vision is rich the vision is wealth the vision is wealthy and we're moving with intention this is really for the people and by the people it's really by the people because really the experiences we have we reflect that into the music and we wouldn't have that if it wasn't for that interaction with the next human for me or that person, that lady on the street or that, that kid from Harlem. And this is how we, this is really how we live and how we giving it up. Yeah. It's really purposeful. Well, I got one more question, but before I ask it, how can folks uh, check out this project? How can they learn more about y'all? What are the Instagrams? What do people need to know? Yeah. If you want to follow in with me and good kid, you can follow us on Instagram. I'm at Hunt Dog and Dog is spelled D A W G G. You can follow Good Kid at You a Good Kid. You know, so as far as the information and the music, follow us there on Instagram so you get the first dibs on whatever it is that we're doing. You know, right now we're putting our music exclusively on Audio Mac, Bandcamp for those who want to donate to the sound, and third would be SoundCloud. So we're using these platforms specifically to cater to a more underground scene. Um, you know, so you be on the lookout and stand by for when we take our steps through Apple or Spotify and those other platforms. But right now, you know, we service in the music, you know, directly to our fans and our community more so. So if you want to tap in and build with us, you know, feel free to DM us. You know, we love to talk and, you know, really discuss more in depth about how we can use this music um, to aid society, you know, and art in general. I, I don't even like the word music because it's like so confinement. Like this is bigger than just music. You know, this is an art form. And a philosophy. I think if you, I think kid, I think what we're gonna start saying when they be, like, what type of artist are you? I might have to go philosopher. You know, and just go. It's all about yeah. the ideas. It's about the philosophy. I'm not. You know, that's my style of art. Is is philosophy driven? Or you know, so. But yeah, holla at us, man. Kid, if you yes, want to share anything too. Yeah, you can follow Hunt Dog again. 
Go B A W G. You can follow me at You a Good Kid. Y O U A G O D K I D. Chicka chicka whoa. This is for the people. And I can't I can't wait to meet everybody. I can't wait to give y'all a hug. I, I can't wait to shake your hand, kiss y'all babies, man. It's gonna be it's a journey. I, I'm I'm ready for everything. I'm ready for all the smoke. So. All right, Hunter, I'm going to throw the, my final question at you. We talk about getting more people involved and engaged with classical music. We talk about, you know, house as a means of connecting people. We talk about ways in which we can get people to understand about Buddhism, you know, despite what their preconceived notions are. You know, I think this the center pin of all of it is connectivity. So I wonder if you could just speak to what that magic juice is for folks who just want to inspire unity, connectivity, you know, community. What what is it that we need to be thinking about it's a simple word garrett it's dialogue it's communication you know i feel and believe truly you know that is the source um to a lot of our misery you know on this planet and you can even look at you can break it down even microly and look at all of our individual personal relationships you know, that may not be the best, you know, it's always stemmed to a lack of communication, a lack of true heart-to-heart dialogue. And then you think about these countries that are waging wars against each other or like people who discriminate toward each other. It's just a lack of understanding, you know, and, a, and even more so a lack of wanting to understand. So, you know, just to answer that is, I think it's just dialogue and people taking a step to say like, I want to hear this person out. This person, I don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. Let me understand you know instead of taking it from a judgmental perspective and finding ways to on why we're different it's like let's talk and find ways that we're actually alike you know and i think the most powerful race is, is the human race you know and maybe if you went down and trace your ancestry back further enough you might discover you're a part of every place in the world i really believe that if you go back further enough it's probably somebody in somewhere down your lineage that was a part of every country so you know at the end of the day you know what are we really fighting over you know, we're fighting over power, we're fighting over greed, and, you know, we want to just create the art or the philosophy or contribute to the philosophy, you know, to to destroy all of that. And sometimes that's going to come in aggression. Sometimes you got to smack people up the head. Sometimes you got to hit them and, you know, break their legs with a baseball bat for the sake of peace. For the sake of peace. For the sake of peace, y'all. <laughs> of a, a track called Back It Up again from a new album the new album debut album Radical House by Hunt Dog and You A Good Kid such a pleasure and an honor to have both of those guys on the Triloquy podcast what do you think about where our conversation ended dialogue being that that magic potion that's keeping progress from happening it's a good point I'd go back to one that I made in the first movement um it's about, you know, improvisation is mainly about listening. It's only if you're listening to the other person, are you going to be able to take the scene or the piece of music, whatever it is that you're working on forward. Um, I think a lot of people don't listen. They wait for their next chance to talk. Mm. And that's what he's getting at. Dialogue, 
listen so that you respond to what the person's actually saying rather than an assumption or um, some other pre preconceived notion that you might have that is fueling your answers. It inspires me to even check myself to a degree because, you know, you heard Hunter saying there, understand why someone is doing what they do instead of yeah. being judgmental. <sighs> Maybe... I mean, so does that mean I should understand why we're we're doing what we're doing in classical music, you know, with this program well, with these same olds, you know, because he also says sometimes you have to break somebody's knees for peace. What I was about to say <laughs> is in dialogue, there is compromise, right? Sure, and a compromise sure. is what you have when both parties are dissatisfied. Mm. So maybe we can get to that. We can, if we can work our way up to dissatisfaction, I think we're really getting somewhere. <laughs> well, I've been dissatisfied this whole time. So <laughs> anyway, shout out to you, a good kid and hunt dog hunter. Just so glad to uh, be able to feature them here. All right, well, we're going to get into this final movement, into this triloquy movement. And I want to pull on that thread a little more, but maybe to an even extreme case, you know, dialogue and finding those points of connectivity. We're going to uh, go into this fourth movement with a little bit of music by Aaron Copeland. I'll give this, uh, I'll give it some context after we get through it. This is uh, one of the movements from his Billy the Kid suite. This movement is called Gun Battle. Let's take a listen. A little bit there from the gun battle uh, by uh, Aaron Copeland from his Billy the Kid suite, the uh, ballet suite. All right. Question number one. <laughs> Before mm. we really get into it. Mm. Is it appropriate? Have, have, I, have I just misstepped considering where the gun conversation is, where the gun reality is, all of the violence that we're seeing? Is it appropriate to platform something like that, that musically depicts a gun battle. Is that hitting, shooting too close to home right now? No, I think that you, there's a degree of sensitivity that you can have. You mm. know, for example, De Freischutz is that Weber, uh, that, Weber. That no one knows, but go on. Uh, that, well, you know, that's the free shooter. <laughs> right. You know, so you don't want to have that on your playlist. Like if, if there's some catastrophe out in the news. Do, do you know the story uh, of that opera, by the way? Not off the top of my head. I know well, I have notes on it. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that there's a there's a black person in that opera and don't you know don't. you know how we've been treated in opera but anyway <laughs> that's that's not why we're here we're we're talking about connectivity and something that's been coming to mind for me is how can we inspire dialogue with people who we just all the way don't agree with and 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 maybe find a little modicum of connection we're talking a lot about politics these days they raided mar-a-lago 
and <laughs> mm. we got conservatives talk about uh, cancel the FBI, defund the the FBI. It was a very interesting uh, few hours on Twitter. Seeing, you <laughs> I, know, <laughs> from your perspective, I would love to hear some of the highlights. Yeah, you know, hearing a lot of Black Lives Matter Twitter saying yes. Thank you. Finally, <laughs> you're saying what we want to hear. You know, it only took that. But not like that. It only took that for, for you know, certain people yeah. with uh, specific political leanings to have that idea. I played that Aaron Copeland because it seems like a lot of the political dialogue is America first. You know, we're we're American. We believe in in us and freedom and and X, Y, and Z. So that must mean that we can partner with folks who think like that around centering American composers, right? That that must be what that means. You that must are be walking on unusual ground. And then uh, and then especially considering that a lot of these people are all about their guns, you know, and their Second Amendment rights and X, Y, and Z. Not only do we have American music out there, American composers, we have American composers who have written music about these guns y'all love so much. So this must be the road forward. Uh, you Take your most uh, politically conservative politician, individual. Is it just too much to imagine that <laughs> nuancing, finessing the conversation in that way, you know, I understand that you are all about America and freedom. I understand that you're all about your guns and your gun rights. Partner with us to help us realize this American truth in the in the concert hall. Now, before I pass it to you, I do want to acknowledge that you do get on shaky territory because I'm not here rooting for fascism and, and doing any of that. I think what my point is. This has this this is a, a point of connectivity. This is the one modicum of a thing that we can have dialogue about. And by we, I mean, you know, me and maybe someone who's very politically conservative. That is a modicum of dialogue that we can have that we could both contextualize as a, a greater good or or move in a positive direction based on our perspectives. What do you think? <laughs> the cognitive dissonance that I'm having right now has to be so evident. I I can I'm not even able to file these two next to one another to have this conversation. So what you're saying in a nutshell is you're going to get together with well, no, I haven't made Some, any plans now, don't. <laughs> if we were to implement it, you're right. talking about getting together with some of the most conservative. Le I'm not going to say names or states because yep. we know where we know, yeah, we know where y'all live. Hey, Florida. And <laughs> and you want to and you want to program a concert with them? I'm saying in the broader conversation of decolonizing classical and maybe i have to leave that word at home before i yes. <laughs> have a conversation with them but you know in, in, in the in the conversation of making american orchestral music the experience more american maybe this is a point of 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 bridging a gap they love america i love the idea of getting beethoven and these motherfuckers out of here so maybe maybe we can partner in that way you know, <laughs> is is that so far fetched of an idea? Because again, going back to what Hunter was saying, is that dialogue that is really important. I feel like personally, to some degree, <laughs> dialogue and approached in this way could create some partnerships and and, and create something. Then what? 
You, you put together this concert, then what? You so, gonna hang out in the lobby? <laughs> no, I'm gonna sit there. I'm gonna sit there next to them, and then maybe we can engage the the music later. Now, this is the thing, <laughs> or, or talk about it. This is the thing. What's the conversation gonna look like when we talk? Start talking about the Afro American Symphony. <laughs> or, or, or other See, American standards. The reason why I asked you that is because I wanted to know what the second concert in the series was going to sound mm -hmm, like. What, mm -hmm. pro what are you going to put on that program? And then, but are then, you going to ask them to come to your side and but then, listen? But then, then I guess as soon as they find out that Aaron Copeland was gay or Little Bernstein was gay, you know, then the conversation is done. But I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm as we continue to circle these conversations and and have uh, the data points and the opinions all the way over from Europe when it comes to diversifying classical music. Look, I'm grasping for from, for straws and trying to figure out a way for most of us to somehow get on the same page. Mm. If that is the, if if you were to sit here and tell me that approaching the conversation in this way would inspire some American conservatives, the people who are usually complaining about so-called woke politics, if that will get them to consider shifting American classical music programming, hey, I'm down. I will have the wow. dialogue. I will have the conversation. But it sounds like you don't even have hope that that would even work. <laughs> I don't understand it fully yet. Just let me, uh, let me digest this for a few days and we'll huddle back up again because right now the cognitive dissonance is thick. All right. Well, for, for those of you listening, and maybe maybe try out finessing the conversation in that way. You have a family member who is all about, oh, America, or yeah, we, yeah, I, I, I believe in what this country was built on. Well, there's music about America written by white men, even music by American white men highlighting the power of guns. So, you know, why not? Why, well, why not try to bridge a gap in some way? You know, since, since, since this little bit of the uh, conversation, since this trilogy was, um, you know, based on and inspired by Aaron Copeland. I wanted to end today with, you know, a, a, a historical fact that a lot of people uh, don't know about this great American composer. I'm reading from NewYorker.com. This article came out uh, a few years ago. But uh, in talking about Aaron Copeland, it says here, Aaron Copeland suggested that women had an innate block against creating large-scale musical structures. There is the unintended bias of well-meaning performers, administrators, and yes, critics, whose choices perpetuate the status quo. Mm. We talked for 20, 15, 20 minutes about uh, music by women falling back mm -hmm. and, and those percentages falling. We have this you know, great American composer who thought all of you women need to uh, stay away from the writing desk and not put your woman music on these stages. So, you know, after all of I, all, after all I've said about bridging the gap with Aaron Copeland, we also have to consider the, the real history, what these composers believed in, what they platformed, and maybe even let that inspire our programming choices. Or if that's not a big deal to you, I guess go listen to your favorite Aaron Copeland recording after listening to this. Thank you for tuning in. See you next week. <laughs>